G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. I went to a little Bible college for a while, and um, then God started to teach me His Word there. And then the Lord said to me, I want you to give up your job, and uh, you're going to own nothing, but you're going to have everything you need. Um, You're just going to work for me. And after two years of being saved, I hit the road with a couple of suitcases and the message, you know. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. A powerful one for you today about hope against all odds. Kevin Mad Dog Mudford never had a real relationship with his parents and his life went from bad to worse. As a 20-year-old, he found himself in New Zealand's most notorious prison. But that's not how the story ends. Mad Dog will share how it all turns around as he has a chat with Shelley Scowan. Mad Dog, kind of the platform that you use for your ministry, is talking about some of the bad choices that you made as a younger teenager in early 20s. Well, that's right, yeah. Well, the Mad Dog bit came from um, when I started speaking in schools way back in uh, New Zealand many years ago, and, uh, and I found uh, um, God take me into high schools, and uh, it was a place I never kind of thought I'd go to, and uh, so uh, the Mad Dog bit kind of stuck with me, and uh, it helped me uh, talk to kids because they kind of, uh, um, when Mad Dog, the name Mad Dog came up in schools, they kind of knew what I was about, you see, so that's kind of where that came from, and um, um, yes, I did uh, uh, schools and uh, speaking to teenagers for many years, sometimes six high schools a week. Um, wow. Yeah, it's just, it was just a natural progression of what I did after I... Uh, come to Jesus in, uh, in 1981, Hastings, New Zealand. All right. Well, tell us that story because you'd had a bit of a colourful background before that. Uh, actually, let's take us back to you know when you were a kid and um, you know things started to go a bit pear shaped for you. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm a product of a, a broken home, and uh, my father was a uh, uh, World War Two uh, vet in a prisoner war camp for three and a half years, and uh, he came back from overseas and. Uh, Met my mother, uh, was his second wife, and his uh, first one died, and he had uh, nine children. And, uh, and so I was, I was um, the second to last. So I grew up in a home with, well, I had an absent father. My father was unable to uh, emotionally connect with his children, so he never once ever told me that he loved me. He never put his arms around me, never hugged me. Um, there was no encouragement there. And, uh, you know, he, uh, he worked and fed us and all that kind of stuff, and he was around very much an authority figure and uh so yes i grew up with an absent father and uh never really thought much about it till many years later when i became a christian i started um learning about um the reasons why one winds up on the streets and and wind up in prisons and places and uh so that's where the original breakdown was of course and uh it wasn't just me it affected the whole family my brothers and sisters either went to jail or went out and got pregnant uh, divorces, uh, we all um, uh, were socially um, deranged, really. Everything we touched fell to pieces, and uh, 
we couldn't cope and cause you become like your mother and father, don't you, you know? And and so uh, relationships later on in life were, were smashed to pieces, you know, and uh, yeah. we've had to, had to pick up the pieces, and that's right, you know, and uh, um, if you haven't had the love that you needed, it certainly affects you for the rest of your life, you know? You just didn't get hard, you didn't get encouraged, and... Uh, and obviously, you know, he'd been in, uh, you know, a German prisoner war camp for three and a half years. He'd been on the front line. So obviously, um, he, he, he came back and, uh, was, un- was unable to adjust. And, uh, and only God knows what went on, you see. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I wasn't the only one there. I mean, I've sat down and talked to lots of people who had fathers that had been to war, you see. And, uh, some came back and got on with their lives and others came back and smashed the family to pieces, you see. And, uh, Mm. Um, so I understand all that you see, and uh, but yeah, that, that that's true, you know, and uh, um, that that's the story of life, isn't it? You know, kids, what they see here um, does affect their life. Yeah, I guess it's just a sobering thought, really, for parents uh, to know that even even the things that your father had gone through, like you say, he'd been through some pretty massive things, but uh, it's still. Uh, I don't know how to phrase it, but it's no excuse or whatever for, you know, what you went through. It still went on to have a massive impact on your life. And I guess it's it's um, the importance of parents trying to seek help for their own problems so that their problems aren't passed on to their children, hey? Yeah, well, that's right, you see. And, of course, we're talking about another generation, a couple of generations back, you see. So it was a different world back then. It was, it was a world of, you know... Um, get a job, you know, and uh, pull your socks up and uh, get out there and do something for your life, you know, and uh, there's a lot more education today, there's a lot more um, uh, uh, help around today, we've got social media, there's uh, ways to discover different ways of doing things, because back in my parents' day, when I was growing up there in the, in the late 50s and 60s, uh, uh, none of that was around, you see, so, um, but um, you just uh, get on with your life, don't you, and, and that's what you do, and uh, mm. I had prison at 15, 15 years of age. I was between 15 and the age of 21. I became one of uh, New Zealand's worst prisoners. Life oh, wow. gets really interesting then. And um, I went up in seven jails um, up and down New Zealand. I was in the punishment sections of every prison. Um, uh, solitary confinement cells, months and months of it. And um, I took out my hate and anger on authority figures and there had a huge hate for people who, who would tell you what to do. And, uh, and so I wound up in some pretty nasty places, pretty nasty situations. Um, my mattress and blankets taken off me at 5 o'clock in the morning. No toilets in your cells in those days. Just a chamber pot in the, in the corner of the cell there. And uh, so what I used to do is um, train myself to sleep in the cell all day. I used to take off my jersey because I had no blankets and wrap my jersey around me. And I'd sleep all day. At night time, I'd force myself to stay awake. Um, all night so I could sleep all day because when you're in prison all you think about is killing time you know and uh, they are the dark years of my life there and uh, 15, 16, 17 18, 19, 20 um, 7 jails to one day I found myself in uh, uh, Albany, Auckland's uh, infamous Paramarimwa uh, prison which is a maximum security jail and I found myself sitting in a, at 20 years of age in the detention unit locked up in a cage, you see, in the punishment section there. And uh, and I thought, well, here I am, 20 years of age, and I've arrived, you know. I'm in the top bad jail. Um, I'm only 20, and I'm mean and bad, you see, you know. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, you know, and I was brought up as a, a Catholic. You know, I had plenty of um, 
taught about God, but uh, um, but you know, you just when you're in those places, it's very very difficult to change because you're locked up with people in the gangs and in New Zealand. There, um, you've got the Mongol mob, Black Power, Filthy Sea, Satan slaves, um, big gang problem in New Zealand. There, so in those years there. Um, it was not uncommon to be locked up with uh, some pretty mean guys, you see, where you couldn't escape, and so there'd be fights and blues and scraps and small riots go on, and you look for ways to kill time, you see, and that was my world, you see. And, of course, every time I got out of prison, I would get drunk, you see, so I had an alcohol problem, and um, which is another whole journey, because I, um, I gave up alcohol for 34 years, and then um, absolutely... Totally changed my whole life because we put the cork back in the bottle. <laughs> wow. And that's amazing, you see. And uh, yeah. but then after that, you know, like um, by the age of 17, 18, um, you know, I, I, I had no relationship whatsoever with my family and uh, became a, uh, you know, a drunk really and uh, woke up in Gutters Parks, police stations there. Then um, around about 21 years of age, I discovered the land of mental hospitals and this is a true story I'm telling you and uh, it's not exaggerated and uh, wound up in over 25 uh, uh, public hospitals mental hospitals drug rehabilitation centres, drug units the whole lot there up and down New Zealand and I became what's called in my circles a professional psychiatric patient very much like that old movie by Jack Nicholas once of the cuckoo's nest <laughs> and, uh, mm. and so I was locked up in these places but I enjoyed being in there because um, I was looked after and, uh, and, I, and I couldn't face living on the outside because I was irresponsible and I became institutionalised. Yeah, well, you weren't used to living on the outside and you hadn't really been properly taught how to live on the outside as a normal part of society. No, like I said, I had this drinking problem, you see. I drank top shelf and, and blew everywhere and uh, I, I couldn't imagine life without alcohol, you see, yeah. and... Uh, and even over those years, you know, I met people like churches would come in and preach to me and evangelize me and tell me that God loved me. And uh, But you see, I, I needed to hear from my own kind, and, um, and which is an interesting journey, you know, and uh, it's amazing really what happens. Uh, but 1981, my brother, I was in Oakley Psychiatric Hospital, South Auckland. I was 26 years of age. Um, I was under Section 23 of the Mental Health Act. And one day I was asleep between two chairs, the lady sent me a letter there, and she told me that my own brother had done 10 years jail too, had given his life to Jesus Christ. And so over those years, I'd run into enough born-again Christians to recognize that these born-again Christians were quite fanatical, and, uh, and they smiled a lot, the ones I met anyway, and they'd uh, always want to try and get you saved. So when my brother's life changed, um, I got really curious about his salvation there, so... That's when things changed for me. I got out of the, the mental home and uh, wheeled and dealed and uh, found out his life had changed through Jesus and he took me along to a church and I got born again in uh, 1981, 26 years of age. And then the real journey began. You're listening to The Story. Today we're hearing Kevin Mad Dog Mudford share about his life journey. Next we'll find out what happened once he decided to follow Jesus when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. 
or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Shelley Scowen's conversation with Kevin Mad Dog Mudford. Right now, we're going to hear about the next chapter in his life once he had decided to follow Jesus. And as you'll hear, even Shelley has a memory of meeting Mad Dog when she was a kid. Mad Dog, I've got to say, the one time that I have encountered you in my life was as a kid. I probably would have been, I don't know, seven or eight years old. And the memorable thing was that you drove your Harley Davidson down the aisle of the church that I was attending. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be right. <laughs> That's something that doesn't really happen every week. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. And uh, yeah, I'm a little bit out there, a little bit different from most preachers out there. And uh, but there you go. You know, uh, God's the God of variety. <laughs> yes, and uh, he certainly loves you bringing out your personality. As you can, as you can see, I, I still remember that day many years later. Uh, how did you get, I mean, God obviously called you to himself and called you into ministry. Pretty mm. massive step for you coming as, you know, one of these hardened criminals. Uh, mm. How did that all take place? Again, just a total God job, and uh, I, I shake the head even these, these days. Um, how he does it all, but his God, you see, smarter than us. Um, he obviously, uh, the time was, I, I was right for plucking. I was ready, you know, and uh, somebody had to be praying for Kevin over, Kevin Mad Dog over those years. And uh, mm. so when I gave my life to Jesus, um, the Lord really spoke a clear word to me that he had called me to be an evangelist. And number two, God said to me, I'm going to put you back inside the jails and uh, mental homes and boys' homes that you came out of to tell your story. And uh, and so that was the very first thing that God spoke to me in this little uh, Pentecostal church I was attending at the time there. And uh, was that a, to me, Sorry, I was going to say, was that a difficult thing to hear? I mean, did you somewhat go into all of that with fear and trepidation? No, I was really, really excited because, uh, I don't know, you know, like God's on time, you know, isn't he? And uh, hmm. all of a sudden I thought, wow, you know, I can come out of the cave um, I no longer have to be a criminal. I no longer have to be this bloke just running wild out there. All of a sudden, um, I, had, I had an identity, a good one, and all of a sudden, I had a job to do, and I knew I could do it really, really well. Um, so I, um, it was amazing, really. Like, like I said before, I got drunk out of my life, and, um, and that had to go. Um, I could go, I could advance no, nowhere without that going. And, um, um, and so I got a job with the Salvation Army looking after New Zealand street kids. And I still have that photograph today um, of me um, uh, doing uh, physical exercises with uh, street kids. And back in 1981 in New Zealand, uh, all the Maori teenagers were into Bob Marley. So it was ghetto blasters, dreadlocks and reggae music. So if you're a Christian way back then those days... These are the kind of kids that um, we come up against, you see. So um, I um, cut my teeth on uh, teenagers, and uh, then I got a job with the YMCA, and then I hit the streets, and I street preached for 25 years, and um, and uh, devoted my life to... Uh, I went back to every boy's home, every jail, every mental hospital. It was just miraculous, you know, just what God did. And, uh, you know, and I joined the church there and got rid of the fags and, um, 
all of a sudden, um, you know, I got a magazines and papers and newspapers and television stuff came along, and I never chased it, you know. It was, it, it was never something that, uh, oh, look at me kind of thing. It was just something I knew that in order to get the gospel out, you know, I had to look for places to do it. Mm. And, uh, and so um, off I went. Um, after two years of working with teenagers, like I said, I hit the road and uh, went to a little Bible college for a while. And um, then God started to teach me his word there. And then the Lord said to me, I want you to give up your job and uh, you're going to own nothing, but you're going to have everything you need. And he said to me, I've called you to go and preach and travel as an evangelist and uh, you're never going to come back. He said to me, you're going to work for me. You're never going to have a, a secular wage. Um, you're just going to work for me. And after two years of being saved, I hit the road with a couple of suitcases and the message, you know, and I'm still on the road 34 years later with my wife, still living in the caravans, still living, traveling, going to places. And even as early as last night, I was talking to alcoholics, you know. It's just been miraculous and um, uh, just amazing things. I was nearly murdered five and a half years ago. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You were in yeah. quite a violent yeah, attack. I've got, to t- I've got to tell you that. And um, I've got the photographs of it all. Um, I think you'd see it, you'll see it there anyway, um, one of the photographs there. That's right, um, I've experienced pretty well anything, everything you can experience, but five and a half years ago in, uh, Morrisett, Newcastle, on a Saturday night, um, I was ministering to 35 drug addicts, and, um, and, uh, a bloke came up behind me from the bushes and smashed me five times over the head with a brick. It really happened, and, uh, and I was nearly dead. I spent 10 days in John Hunter Hospital with a brain injury, walking sticks. It was the biggest setback in my life, mm. you see, you know, and um, that, 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 that happened. I got the photographs of it all. Yeah. And, uh, and I still use those photographs, and I travel around and talk to people about life on the road, you see, because um, people don't, people think, you know, it's just all, all, all just nice. But that actually happened, you see. So, well, um, yeah, it's not like you're just getting around in your caravan and uh, lolling about as grey nomads wherever you go. You really are getting the message out. And uh, the enemy isn't happy about you seeing all exactly. these lives transformed. Tried to kill me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and look, I'm not a sky pilot. I know a lot of people go running around, son, the, the devil this and the devil that, you know. I know. And, and that's not me. And, uh, but I know for a fact that, uh, that it was a satanic attack by the enemy to try and silence me. Yeah. Well, no because it did. There, there was a little time after that that you were a bit apprehensive about going back out and sharing your story, but you were back on the road pretty soon after. Well, you are, you see, you're traumatised, you know. Yeah. You know, I've, I've never belittled the story and, and made I'm some sort of superman. I can tell you when that brick hits your head, you're gone, you see. There's nothing nice about it. And uh, But I came through that, and uh, and yes, I was traumatised, you know. It's a bit like, you know, you get working in the bank and you get robbed. You kind of don't want to go back to work the next day, you know. Of course. So you, you, you entertain fear and, and everything else. So, but after three months... Um, I started to come right, and um, and then I thought, well, I've got to get back out where these people are, and I, I turned the test to a testimony, took photographs of the bashing three days after it, uh, you know, so that people would believe me, and um, and so uh, it just gave me another arrow in my, on my bow to use and encourage people that um, there'll be people who'll be killed for the faith, there'll be people who'll be bashed for the faith, and, mm. and some people will just go through life you know, with nothing physically happening to them. But uh, I just believe that, um, as was pointed out to me, that, um, you know, the Bible is full of uh, people who got bashed for the message. Yes. 
You yeah, know, and, and I many of them died, yes. I happen to be one of them, you know, yeah. and, uh, and that's fine with me now, you see, you know, I came through it. Tell us about the message that you do bring when you preach Jesus. What is the mm-hmm. main heart of your message that you bring? Sure, I love talking about that. Um, okay. Um, I've got two primary giftings, and I always say to Christians, I says, look, you know, we're, we're like a football team, you know, and um, you've got to find your position in life, you know. And, uh, and God gets a hold of our life there, and he gives us a position on the team. <laughs> and uh, and it's a job that you're going to like doing, and you're going to be good at it, you know. And that's what I always say to people is, is what's your job, you know. So um, my two positions, one is that of an evangelist, and uh, that's something that I do very, very well. Um, I didn't inherit it. I didn't try and practice to become one. It's just in me. <laughs> I was born with it. So um, that particular ministry God uses in churches, which is scriptural Ephesians, the job of the evangelist to equip the church. That's something I just enjoy doing. And uh, But the main heart of my message, um, my tribe of people are drug addicts, alcoholics, prisoners and mental health people. And they are the, my four primary audiences of people um, apart from the church that God sends me to. And I can tell you, and I don't exaggerate or tell lies, that for 34 years, God continually takes me to those four characters. Um, a lot of my ministry is in uh, a society called Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and so I go and minister amongst that crowd, speak their language, and um, I've got all the characters I want to talk to from my background there. So my primary message um, is really um, amazing grace. And uh, you must be born again, uh, John 3.16, and uh, uh, you can change. And uh, if you give your life to Jesus, he'll make you a new creature in Christ, you know. And, uh, and so I love testifying, breaking it down to a language they can understand there, and lifting up Jesus and uh, and doing that in love too, you know. Um, so that's my primary message, that um, you can have a changed life there. You know, 10 out of 10 people die, heaven's real, hell's real. So while you're alive, you've got an opportunity to have a brand new life, you see. So that's my primary message, and uh, it's not rocket science, it's not deep, you know. It comes out in different flavors, and uh, that's primary what it is. Kevin, time has escaped us, but uh, it's been lovely right, hearing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, we do like to joke that we love interviewing preachers and pastors because we only have to ask about five questions and you're away. <laughs> it's, it's easy. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, but it's been lovely chatting with you and uh, really appreciate you op- opening up and sharing some of your story with us. I trust it's been an encouragement to many people. That's cool. If people want to have a chat to us, they can just get us on uh, Facebook, just uh uh, just Googling Kevin Mudford, my Facebook page will come up there. If they want to chat to us, um, we do Facebooking all the time up there. And that's always the best way to um, to have a chat because obviously when it goes over the, the radio waves there, people will want to um, you know get in touch with us. That's always the best way through uh, Facebooking. Yeah, no worries. Just go to yeah. Facebook and uh, search for Kevin Mad Dog Mudford. He's right there. Uh, thanks yes. so much. Uh, appreciate your time. Hey, cool. Thank you very much for your time and you keep up the good work. 
That was Shelley Scowen chatting with evangelist Kevin Mad Dog Mudford. And as we just heard Mad Dog say, the gospel message isn't complicated. What an amazing story of God coming through for him. And he can do the same for you. If you'd like someone to pray with and introduce you to faith in Jesus, our prayer line is 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's one 800 772 936. We'd love to pray for you and have a chat at 1-800-772-936. And finally, we'll end with this verse from the Bible. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Well, thanks for joining us for Kevin Mad Dog Mudford's story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story... There was a a little child was uh, bitten by the school rabbit. She came in crying. I'd been bitten by the rabbit. When I looked at her finger, there really wasn't anything there at all. She just needed some reassurance. But with the OCD kind of worry, I wrote a note, put it in her bag and thought, well, that should be fine. Life goes on, but not for me. Rosemary Burke says she suffered for years with what she called pathological doubt. Thoughts that kept going around in her mind and haunting her. She's written about her experience in a book called The Lava Tube, a Christian's personal journey with obsessive compulsive disorder. We'll hear her story next time. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.